Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. $770 billion. That is the authorizing funding for the Pentagon. National Defense Authorization Act, 89 to 10 vote. I think there was one uh, senator who did not participate. I forget who that was. Um, you'll always have some senators who are like, yeah, this this isn't the, the right spending. Or, or, or they'll say uh, that this, this is too much spending. Uh, you have uh, Republicans and Democrats on that list. You have Senator Mike Braun out of Indiana. You have Senator Mike Lee out of Utah. Uh, you you have a host of Democrats like like Bernie Sanders, who voted against it. I look at that seven hundred seventy billion dollars and I say ah, it's really not enough. That's the problem. It's not enough. We are not honest about what it takes to deal with the threat of China. And let's be sure we understand exactly how big this threat is. The threat of, of, of China is not just in their, in their military buildup, right? It's not just in their economics and debt owed to them. It's not just in their military buildup, going deep blue and aircraft carriers and trying to gain control of lands, trying to build and actually building islands, investing in foreign countries throughout Africa and South America, to be able to then own those nations or at least own airports. They are trying to engage a place to land and refuel in the Atlantic. This is the ongoing, all-consuming threat of China. This is Belt and Road Initiative. This is a desire not for hegemony, control of, of the Pacific Rim. This is about control, period, power, dominating. That's what the entire 5G conversation was about. Your phone's going to be on 5G and everything's going to work super fast. If China controls the protocols to 5G, your phone works through them. They see and hear everything. And if 5G is the way of the Internet of Things, you want to activate your Roomba or your washing machine from your phone? Not if they don't want you to. No, 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 no. Not if they don't want you to. This is the ongoing threat of China. And this is why I think the number has to be more than $770 billion. We have ships that don't sail. We have planes that don't fly. And what is the top thing on the minds of leaders today? Make sure you're vaccinated or you're fired. Two battalion commanders were fired for refusing COVID-19 vaccine. 96% of active army meeting the deadline. 478,000 active duty soldiers, by the way, met the requirement for being fully vaccinated by December 15th, an additional 2% receiving one dose. That leaves a little bit more than 10,000 personnel needing a waiver or facing punitive action. Two battalion commanders, four others, relieved their leadership positions. 
2,767 soldiers received written reprimands from general officers for refusing the order. Military is one of the places where I always find myself asking questions about whether or not they can refuse such a thing. It's the military. Did they lose their rights as citizens? No. But let, let us not deny that military service is far different than being a civilian. It is different. So it's one place where I, I, I've, I've asked myself this question and I, I, I engage with people to get different thoughts and different ideas. But $770 billion, which includes a 2.7% pay increase for military service members, and $300 million in military aid to the Ukrainian Security Assistance Initiative. Like, that's going to help. Russia's coming. Russia's coming. That's all there is to it. So I, I tell you that this isn't enough. $1.75 trillion the progressives want to spend on social spending. What does social spending matter if you don't have a nation? Maybe the part of the problem is, is that we don't really understand we're at war with China. Like, we're at war with Russia. What we are at war with are forces that want us gone so they can go about building their future. They don't believe they can have a future with us around. Getting us out of the way is key. It is true. Let's not deny it. Let's fund it properly. Funding the military is more important than funding Planned Parenthood. I rank these things. There is a story I wanted to get to because I think people heard it and it, it kind of went by the wayside. It was the story of Ben Affleck talking about his ex-wife, Jennifer Garner, and drinking. And I looked at that story. I said, wow, what a jerk. But there's a, there's a really, really deep part to this that requires our attention. And Jim Garrity hit it well. I'll have that story coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. The story went around like wildfire. Then. Ben Affleck, the actor who was formerly married to Jennifer Garner. Oh, the marriage was bad and I was drinking all the time and I was staying in it for the kids. He said that in an interview. It was like, holy hell. What kind of person says that? Now, he's saying uh, that that's not what he said in, in, in the interview and that it was... Uh, specifically and, and uh, you know, perfect, uh, purposefully turned on him to make him look terrible. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Now, whether or not he said it in the interview, whether or not he didn't, I'll leave that to others. But there's a, a story underneath it, and I think Jim Garrity caught on to it before anybody else. He joins us right now uh, over there at National Review, Jim Garrity. Uh, you can also uh, check out his book, Heavy Lifting, which is a, a book about parenting he wrote with Cam Edwards. It's available at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. Heavy Lifting is the name of the book. And the piece, uh, Don't Let Your Children Hear You Complaining About Your Spouse. You took a look at this story and said this is much more than whether or not Ben Affleck was being a mean guy. 
Indeed, Tony. And as you know, listeners know that other than that book with Cam, this isn't really my regular beat. I don't spend a lot of time following what celebrities are doing and who's with who or anything like that. Uh, although I will note one of the great iron, a little bit of an irony in that uh, this past weekend, the Wall Street Journal has a, a big, thick, glossy magazine that it does. And Ben Affleck was on the cover. And uh, Sunday night, being bored and despondent after another Jets lost, uh, I just happened to flip through it. And the portrait was very much of Ben Affleck being a matured man, a guy who's been through the ringer, who's had some messes, who's now you know, involved with Jennifer Lopez, but who was very much not talking about it. And he learned some hard lessons about not talking about sharing his personal life with the press. And then he goes and does Howard Stern. <laughs> just to blurt out, not just like a lot of people say, oh, I had couples in my marriage, or oh, I was drinking too hard. Okay. No, no, he, he puts it in just like the most horrible way possible to say, if, I, if he was still married to Jennifer Garner, I'd probably still be drinking. It's part of why I started drinking. And man, oh man, you know, the, the only thing I take from that is like, look, probably everybody who's married has had, you know, their share of hard times in marriage. I'm not going to pretend that Mrs. Garrity and I have not fought like cats and dogs and had all kinds of bad problems. But and not, notice my advice was not don't complain about your spouse or your ex-spouse. My observation was not that your spouse or your ex-spouse has never done anything that didn't deserve some complaining or some griping or even some swearing or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's just don't let your kids hear it. Do it away from little ears. Don't let them hear it because in the end, your, your children need to develop their own relationship with your spouse or ex-spouse. Then you complaining about them puts them in the awkward position of having to choose. You may not be explicitly saying, I want my children to be the referee. But when you complain about them that, you know, that that openly you put them into that awkward position and, I, and so i've heard is just keep it keep it keep it away from their little ears i've heard parents discuss this uh, before people who who are divorced uh that uh you know they'll still make sure that the kids put together for example a, a birthday card uh for her or, or a gift for him because there's still a relationship there and for for some specifically fathers i've heard them uh say this they need to know how to treat women and 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 they want to to raise them right and proper and that modeling of behavior i mean that's a big one so you're you're tapping into this conversation here about what is the converse what is the the behavior uh, that that we that we model and if you model the idea that it's okay to slam attack ridicule uh, then they'll think that that's normal uh, to do but even in the idea of of complaining uh, parent uh, uh, spouses complaining about each other I am not a fan of that. If I know somebody for a long time and they're having an issue and they want to share it with me, I, I'm there for them. Mm -hmm. But so I, I, I personally can tell you I have walked away from uh, couples that I thought we could be friends with because they enjoy either griping on each other or griping about each other. I, mm -hmm. th that is a, I don't think that's a, that's a valuable tool in a relationship. No, I, I think you've, uh, you've hit on something and I, I've read a few books where they made the observation, but all the little ways this kind of seeps into our language. You know, the number of times, you know, if you hear this, the phrase less often, but, you know, yeah, the old ball and chain. Well, if you really see your wife as a ball and chain, we'll see who you have to drag around. It's keeping you weighed down so you can't do what you want to do. Um, look, maybe you're joking, or it's, but it kind of, you know, at some point, that is it. Uh, somebody observed that the, for the word in Spanish, esposas, it means both wives and handcuffs. <laughs> you know, right. the, all the different little ways in which uh, it's generally seen as kind of this joking, ah, you know, wives, aren't they a pain? No, 
you know, thankfully, I think most men you ask them, you know, what would you do in life without your wife? And, and they'd be like, oh, my God, I, I'd, I'd have a hard time getting out of, out, of, out of bed in the morning. You know, that, that even when things aren't great and we're fighting, like, she's my uh, reason for getting up in the morning. She's, you know, makes everything better. You know, don't know what I'd do without her. And I hope that's the way people feel. Now, it's again, once again, everybody, I think everybody fights with their spouse at some point. I think everybody has some strong disagreements. Everybody has some moments where they're enormously disappointed, enormously frustrated, enormously angry. There's nothing wrong with you if you're having any of that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, every couple's got to figure out the best way to, uh, to hash that out, to work out those differences. I'm just kind of observing what Affleck is doing here is terrible. I'm assuming his children are not watching the Howard Stern show. That's good. But the bad news is that when this gets picked up by people, it was on a cry-on on CNN yesterday. This, this just seemed to blow up huge. And I think because it's just such a mean thing to say. You know, yeah, but, but no one's, you know, right? I don't think that's the part we're arguing. Talking to Jim Garrity of National Review, it is the second part that, that you have tapped into. And, I, and when, I, when I texted you, I'm like, this is a book. Because this this is this this is about what it is we want to model when we take a look at, at at problems in society and how people treat each other. I mean, just if we were just to look at social media treatment, I mean that's enough to to fill volumes. But how we treat each other in society comes from a place. That cultural conversation is is, is what you're tapping tapping into here i i i want to change gears on you just a, a, a moment if i can uh this from the wall street journal vice president kamala harris said in a wall street journal interview that she and president biden have never discussed whether he plans to run for re-election now i'm asking you jim garrity as a man who is a political observer like no other you don't think anybody has said to her, hey, he's not running. Hey, he is running. Hey, cool your jets. Hey, don't say this. Hey, say that. Are you telling me that Kamala Harris doesn't know right now and didn't know from the beginning whether or not Joe Biden was going to be a one-termer or thought he could actually be a two-termer? <laughs> um, Tony, that was to clarify. She said they've never discussed it, not that he doesn't remember discussing it, right? Correct. Oh, no, no, no. How dare you steal my line, you <laughs> bastard. Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't know if he remembers it or not. This is about Kamala yeah. Harris. She I mean, says that they have never yeah. discussed it. Yeah, possibility one is that she's lying. And, and I think that actually is a very uh, likely scenario. But if, it's, if she's telling the truth, then actually that's a little bit more. That's actually a little more troubling in that, look, the president just turned 79. Let's assume he's at peak performance for a 79-year-old man. I think that is disputable, but let's fine. Let's get it. Yeah. Um, he will be running for re-election at age 82 and about to turn 83 shortly after winning re-election if he is re-elected in, in 2024. That's very old. That is not the ideal state for the president of the United States. If he does, if he does, if he intends to run, I suppose he can, he can go for. But he also should recognize that, like, He's up against the actuarial tables, and he's also up against the kind of natural ailments that afflict a man when he gets to be that age. Uh, my dad is a little bit older than that. He's doing fine for his age, you know, knocking on wood. God bless him. Um, but I, I trust him with the remote control, and that's about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I wanted to handle all the pressures of the presidency at his age. Um, and so there's kind of this this weird, you know, like like we're, we're all we all see it. But we're not supposed to talk about it. Or I think it was John Ellis had this great observation where he says, if you're going to talk about Biden's age and the times where he seems a little fogeyish, 
Um, you have to use, use the most softest terms like he's lost a little speed off his fastball. Right. Now, we've been watching Joe Biden for in public life for decades now. We know what's normal for him when he doesn't appear for four days at a time. That's not normal. That's, right. that's an indication that something's wrong. So anyway, um, my suspicion is that they have talked about it. and She doesn't want to talk about it. That's fine. She could have given the answer to say, yeah, we've had those conversations, but those are between him and me. Uh, you know, the two of us. And, and I'm not going to talk about those publicly. That's fine. So if she you know, is, if she is lying about it, it just goes on to further show how unprepared she is to deal with the big stage and rationally engage yeah. this conversation. Last thing before I let you go, I only got about a minute here. You've been following these text messages, the January 6th committee saying, look at these texts and 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 look at the, these Fox News hosts. Uh, and they were in horror about uh, what happened on January 6th or maybe they were egging him on. And these text messages show how they were trying to protect uh, the, the president. Uh, CNN right now on their, on their screen says Representative Jim Jordan reveals he sent coup plan to Mark Meadows. Are these text messages anything for the January 6th committee, or is it just fodder to scream for a couple days and it means nothing? Well, I feel like what happened on January 6th, it was covered pretty extensively. Uh, The people who had roles and who broke the law are being prosecuted. The president was impeached over it. He was not removed from office. It was done, you know, the second impeachment was shortly before he was removed from office. Uh, there was a little bit of talk about, ooh, maybe the president will be charged with a crime. But, you know, my attitude would be if you've yeah, – I think it was my colleague, Dan McLaughlin, who laid out, if you've impeached a president for what you deem to be criminal actions, it will be very, very hard to successfully prosecute a president. The, the attitude is that the impeachment is there for the criminal punishment. Um, I, I, my adi- I want to hear from the January 6th commission when it's all done. I, I just give, give me the wrap it all up. Give me give me an all tie a bow on it. And let me see if there's anything new, because right now I, it's not all that surprising that lots of people were sending text messages to the president or uh, those close to him saying, you got to do something. You got to get on television. This is looking really bad. This is getting out of control. I'm not really that shocked by it. Is there, is there a hypocrite? Can you call it hypocritical for uh, saying, Mr. President, do something, and then later on insisting the president did something terrific, and he responded, for, yeah, I guess he can. But, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're shocked to find out that Sean Hannity is really loath to criticize the president in public, I, I got a bridge for you. <laughs> he shouldn't be that shocked or surprised by any of this kind of stuff. So, Jim Garrity, I, I, yeah, yeah. I always appreciate you. National Review. Uh, get the book Heavy Lifting at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. I've got much more to get into. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. It seems that with a fair amount of our so-called news organizations out there, the news that they're putting out is, look at what this other news organization did. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, everything at TonyKatz.com. And while they're fighting with each other, other news organizations have been coming up. Some of them have been around for years. Some of them just coming up now, but making their mark, taking their opportunities, And, well, making space 
in the space. John Bachman joins us right now from Newsmax, Senior Vice President of Content and Newsmax, and also host of John Bachman Now, noon to 2 uh, p.m. Yeah, we, we had to record this early, people, because he's on the air doing doing his work, doing his thing. John, it's good uh, to have you with us. Uh, this I do want to get to some conversation with you about what's going on, specifically with these text messages, and see where you are with them, whether or not they're they're damning or whether or not they're they're freeing. But if we are to take a look at CNN and Fox, for example, and I do work with Fox, and I have done stuff on CNN before, CNN is talking about Fox twenty four seven. Fox on their on their at least on their digital side is always bringing up something on CNN and of certainly some of their commentary guys are absolutely talking about CNN. Is this what passes for news today and is it helping us? That's a great question tonight. Great to be with you and your audience as well. Um, you know, I don't I, I think there are there are diminishing returns on the amount of coverage that the media does covering the media. I do think given what we've seen over the past couple of years in relation to, for instance, uh, the way that BuzzFeed ha- BuzzFeed handled uh, the Steele dossier or um, the suppression of stories, uh, you know, so many uh, establishment media sources just out, you know, just as soon as we learned about it, considered the Hunter Biden laptop story to be uh, a dead end. And so I think there is, there is a need to, uh, kind of self-regulate among the media, but you know, I I don't want to talk about Mr. Potato Head anymore, and I don't think anybody else does. I, I you know I don't I don't think Brian Stelter exists without Fox News. Um, I don't think it, it is quite the same the other way around, uh, and I don't think uh, conservative media, whether it's Fox News or us or anybody else, um, you know, makes the same kind of accusations that the other side makes against the right or conservative media. Um, I, I think there, it's not exactly apples to apples. It's just there's just so many examples of, of malfeasance and malpractice, I guess maybe is a better word, for these established media sources over these last few years. That has to be brought up. But to what extent do people outside of Washington, D.C. and New York and these media bubbles care about it? I think that is a good question to ask uh, those folks. I don't hear my peers talking about that uh, too much. Did you hear what so-and-so said? You know, again, I would say the Chris Cuomo situation is different. Um, there are exceptions to the rule, but your point that this stuff is overcovered, I think, is valid. My, I, but it goes a little bit deeper, and and to me, a, a touch personal when talking to you, because when CNN started going down this road, you were the target. Newsmax was the target. Oh, this 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 startup. It has a startup. It's been around for a great number of years uh, uh, under Christopher Ruddy. And, and, and they've been slowly building out. And you've been there for a good number of years. And then I guess they decided, hey, this is a workable philosophy. Let's go after the, the, the bigger fish right now, which is, of course, Fox News. We're not going to deny reality here. And this has become what is accepted as news when you take a look at ratings and you see that that newsmax and, and and full disclosure i'm on newsmax i've been on john's show numerous times if if not for the timing issues i'd probably be on more um i i, I run ads uh, for for newsmax on, on this show but it is the fourth largest cable system in america it is growing people are looking for other things cnn continues to drop in ratings and get hurt in ratings it's as if they don't learn anything so what i would love from you is a little bit of understanding of the inside baseball how can you continue to deliver a product that people don't want and say we're going to continue to deliver that product 
Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I oftentimes, you know, and look, Tony, I'm from Atlanta. I used to grow up as a kid loving to go on the CNN tour or the CNN center, you know, Ted Turner and all that stuff. And you could just peek behind the curtains to see cable news. And it was revolutionary once upon a time. But the mission, and I, and I still think with people that watch news, these are more traditional folks, even though they might, their politics might be whatever CNN is trying to reach. Um, I still think there's a there's a, a disconnect between what the mission of CNN is and what they're doing and uh, now. I mean, it is by name the cable news network. People expect it to be more of a straight laced news organization. Um, if MS if MSNBC was supposed to be the anecdote to Fox News, CNN was supposed to be, you know, the middle, so to speak. And it's not that anymore. They they did not have they do not have a, a diversified enough portfolio uh, because it is all anti-Trump. Republicans are bad, all that stuff. And, you know, the people want real news. John Malone, who is the largest shareholder in Discovery, uh, you know, they're now going to be in control of CNN. He has been on the record saying that he wants to get back to that. Um, the American public says they're asking for that. Sometimes the Nielsen ratings don't necessarily reflect the American public really wants straight lace news. Um, Americans are, are drawn to the uh, hotter topics and the shinier objects when it comes to cable news. Um, but, you know, I think the only way out of this from CNN or anybody else is just to be intellectually honest with your audience about what your mission is. You know, it, it's not the same to be on cable as it is to be on broadcast. And the audience needs to kind of understand that, I think, a little bit better. One of the things that we try to do, Tony, is, you know, we do have news in our program, but we kind of do it sometimes with, uh, you know, tongue in cheek, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We take it seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. It is news and it is information combined together, which is a different thing than what you're supposed to get on ABC or NBC or CBS and even um, CNN because it's cable. It came came of age at a time when the audience still expected unbiased news from this this source, and I think their only path forward is to get back to to, to doing more of that. Talking to John Bachman, a host over at Newsmax. John Bachman now, noon to 2 p.m. Uh, it's amazing how he's here right now, doing, th- doing two things at once. Stunning, I tell you. And Senior <laughs> well, Vice President hey, hey, of Actually, Com- I, I should mention this, Tony. This is happening uh, because we are airing Mike Huckabee's interview with Donald Trump right now on Newsmax. If folks are listening to this, they can uh, maybe do a audio and visual experience, maybe DVR it. Um, but great interview with Mike Huckabee and Donald Trump exclusively on Newsmax today. I can't believe you're counter-programming me. This is terrible. What kind of person are you? You're the worst. <laughs> Allow me to, to just get hey, your thoughts. This is, this is Look, the beauty of a simulcast. And you know you know these, these audiences these days, especially an audience like yours, they are sophisticated enough to know... Who's doing this uh, interview, Bachman? Let me ask you the question. something just, at the same time or pressing pause oh, and going back and me. watching it. Come on, this is... The 21st century time. Let me ask the questions. This is my show. You can ask questions on your show. <laughs> text messages. If I listen to the January 6th committee, the text messages prove uh, that um, the, the president is guilty of, of insurrection. If I go over some of the text messages, they, they seem to show that people are like, dear Lord, Mr. President, put an end to this. Um, Everybody wants to play these politically. It's proof of something that that you want. As you have read them and and the Newsmax team has read them, what do the text messages say to you? Well, I think the most concerning thing about the text messages is that the committee has been forced to admit that they were altered, the one specifically between Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan. And as you know, Tony, this is not the first time that Adam Schiff or any of the Democrats on either this committee 
for, and, and you know, we can go ahead and, and blame Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger here too, because they, they are having so much fun. Um, you know, again, tongue in cheek, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, fun, quote unquote, with this committee. Um, but they did the same thing. Uh, we found out about this with Bernie Carrick and uh, Benny Thompson, the chairman, lifting something out of Bob Woodward's book, allegedly. And then Woodward said it never happened. But that got into a, a report up from this commission. And it's the same people that ran the impeachments. And they also altered the facts and custom tailored things and cherry picked information to fit a certain narrative. I think, uh, Tony, that there is zero appetite for any of this outside of the Beltway. And again, the, the, the media uh, bubbles of Washington and New York. Nobody talks about this um, in, in Iowa or in middle America where people are struggling because of inflation. That's what matters most. And I, you know, I think Democrats see this as their opportunity to gain some leverage. Perhaps it's one of the only things they have to talk about ahead of 2022 because they certainly don't have a record uh, to run on. Um, I think this is going to backfire on them awfully. Uh, and, you know, th- in my opinion, you know, what do we learn from these text messages? That a lot of Fox News anchors, Donald Trump Jr., and everyone else, including myself, we were all horrified by what we were watching and that there, you know, was, I think, more, quite frankly, that, that President Trump could have done in the near term to tamp this stuff down. But, you know, let's be honest, the, the, the cat was out of the bag. He had told everyone peacefully and patriotically to protest. So, you know, there's that. Uh, and look, it, it was a, it was an awful day for sure, but it's not anything compared in terms of property damage or what we, we saw on video. Of, you know, it's not it does not compare to what we saw over the summer of 2020 in the wide scale property damage and lawlessness in, in multiple cities across America, including Washington, D.C., the the back and forth on uh, comparing it this riot to that riot, I think condemning riots is condemning uh, riots. And when they were breaching the fences at the White House while President Trump was still President Trump, it never got called insurrection. But you could say a breach is true. Tony, I'm glad you brought that up too because that's another example of a media story that was debunked that President Trump ordered that those concussive uh, grenades went off to disperse the crowd. He had nothing to do with that. That was a decision made by Secret Service out of, you know, caution because of concern for the president. Had nothing to do with his walk over there. Uh, you know, that that's just one of the many examples we have from this year of a story that became, you know, fact and canon in the mainstream media, but was later debunked and quietly swept under the rug like, oh, we won't talk about it anymore. Right. Sorry to interrupt, but that's you know, just one of those examples. We have so many of them. Let me bring it back to, to Newsmax, because uh, since I've got you, I could play a little inside baseball. You pick up uh, James Rosen, who had a storied career at, at, at Fox and then some madness and then uh, now has come uh, to Newsmax. You just picked up Rick Grinnell as an analyst and, and a vice president over at Newsmax, the former acting uh, director of national intelligence, a former a- ambassador. Um what what should I take? You've also had some some high profile changes over there in, in in lineup. What should I take from that? What what is Newsmax's story going into twenty twenty two? I think the the story is now what it has always been, and that Newsmax is a player in you know not just the conservative media space, but in the media space in general. And Rick Rennell is a great addition. James Rosen, obviously a huge pickup for us. He's I, I love James Rosen's work. He's such a classic reporter, uh, great storyteller. I can't wait to talk to him about music and the Beatles. 
Um, you know, and Rick Cornell uh, is is just such a normal, down to earth guy. Considering you know you see him on TV a lot, but again, he's the type of guy you have a conversation with. Just such a normal human being, even though he's held you know important posts like being the U.S. ambassador to Germany uh, and working with United Nations and advising President Trump. So uh, you know, I think ultimately, Tony, we are what we have always been, and that is a big tent center right news organization interested in providing Americans with information that's going to improve their lives. Simple as that. That's John Bachman right there. Uh, You can catch him noon to two, but you're listening to me, so DVR him. Don't. There's no doing this (laughs) at the same time. It's it's, it's crazy, but John Bachman. Magic. It is magic. I appreciate you, man. It's good to have you on the show, and we're going to have you back. John, thank you. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So Urban Meyer gets fired from the Jacksonville Jaguars. 13 games in, he was 2-11. and 11. I think the shocking thing is there's a story of him kicking a kicker. There's a former kicker for the Jacksonville Jaguars who says that Urban Meyer kicked him. It's the craziest thing in the world. I, I was going to tell that story, and then Urban Meyer got fired. I'm like, okay, I guess that's the bigger story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Shad Khan who I really think is an owner who loves his fans. Like, he has never shown to me anything except being serious about bringing a winner to Jacksonville. That's what he wants, and really thought he had it in Urban Meyer, the former coach of Ohio State, the former coach there at Florida. Won himself some national championships. This was the guy. And then Urban Meyer, I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong, producer Ari. Urban Meyer, you know what, it did all the way. Every bit of goodwill... Just couldn't control himself. He's got the the girl grinding on him at the bar. Um, his his mannerisms are are seen as ridiculous. And from what I'm learning now, he wasn't even a guy who understood the team. He was still run, trying to run a college program in the pros. That's why, like, I like Shotcon too. But the minute he made this hire, everyone was like, "This is not going to work. This is a bad idea." Like, because they, they knew that this was a bad fit. But so, no one would have thought that that Meyer was this out of control ridiculous. Oh, no, yes, people did. He. Oh, yeah? Yeah, no, he's long had a reputation for being just a pretty despicable person. But did I think it would happen this quickly? No, I thought two years. I didn't think, I think he'd make it at least one. But no, he's always been a jerk, which is fine for some coaches, but it's different when you're doing it to 18-year-olds, my way is the highway, you came here to play for me. Against grown men who are getting paid more money than you, like there's a level of give and take there that you have to have some respect for. I uh, a lot of people are responding to it. Uh, Jalen Ramsey tweeting out, "God bless." Oh my God. Dude, he was hated. I mean, I, I didn't realize it was that bad. What, the the great quote that I saw was from uh, uh, what, what's his name, uh, Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, the quarterback. The quarterback. And it's the quote that made me say, oh, okay, this guy really is the franchise. Like, this guy is the franchise. This is the leadership. And the quote was, sometimes you have to stay out of the headlines. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so he's the guy. Was he was he at Clemson? Clemson, a number one pick. And this 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 season's the first time he's ever lost in his, in his career. And uh, outside of a bowl game, right? He did lose a bowl game. Uh, and it's the first time he's lost in the regular season. And the that quote... That's if you're a teammate, you look at that, you're like, that's my guy. That's how that's how you build it. So now I don't know what happens.
But I think people are, they find it funny that Urban Meyer got fired at like the early morning hours, right? A Thursday, early morning hours, as if people weren't going to see it when he woke up. Like you weren't going to notice, all of a sudden Urban Meyer was gone. I'm already taking bets on whether or not this guy is back in the college level somewhere. Who on earth would hire him? Somebody who wants a national championship because he's won them. He's so toxic. He's won them. So toxic. Look, uh, some guys can coach in the pros and some guys can't. Some guys can coach in college and some guys can't. But he's been like, he's left every school he's been at quite unceremoniously. I'm just saying, somebody's going to take him. I would scratch my head at that. It's going to happen. I guarantee your money back. I'm curious to see who the who the Jaguars are going to going to take. Who they're going to pick. But it's interesting of what it is that they will and won't take. Because if uh, Urban Meyer had just been accused of, you know, you know, beating his wife. Look, the NFL has to answer these questions, not me. The NFL has a weird standard, man. Forgive me for noticing. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.